you have your Bible, please turn to Second Peter. And I, I had to really concentrate this morning because I've been saying First Peter for months. And now suddenly we're into Second Peter. And, and just as it says, this is the second letter that Peter writes that we have in our scriptures. And so uh, we're going to turn then this morning. And as, as you're turning there, um, getting ready, a uh, question for you as you consider um, your family and as I consider my family, uh, let me see if you can answer this question. Which one of you is the best? <laughs> we'll deal with you later. And uh, it, it's interesting as you consider a family and you ask, well, which which is the most important person? Like, who is the greatest person in your family? Uh, you begin to ask questions. Well, what are you asking that by? And I, I think as you just get down to the essence of it, if you removed some of your family, would you ever say like, good, the bad one's gone? No, like when you look at your family, every person is important. There's no one person in the Hudson family that's better than the other. I know as you look at our family, you're like, pal, you're, you're lowest on the totem pole there. We know. Um, certainly, we all have roles that we play. Certainly, different people have qualities and personalities and talents. And certain people have uh, negatives and problems and temptations and those sorts of things. But when you look at a family, you would never look at them and say, well, that one right there is the least important. Like that person is not the best. Everybody in that family is important. You can't take them out. They're all part of the family. Why? Because they were given life into that family. It was given to them. They become a part of that family uh, because they're, they're there. You can't take them out. And so it's interesting because as we come to this issue of faith, sometimes we look at the, the giants of the faith. We look up in the, and they're, they're, we think they're the greatest. They're, they're, the, they're, the, they're the best. And yet Peter takes this interesting approach today as we're going to see and, and um, uh, as far as our salvation. Now, let's look at this together. This, this comes from, again, Second Peter, uh, verse 1. This is a typical greeting that anybody at that day would have given when they're writing a letter. So he starts his letter in that fashion. He says, Simeon Peter, or Simon Peter. Simeon's another way to say Simon. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. So let's press pause. This is Peter. Remember Peter and all the stories that we've heard of him in the gospel? I mean, the first time we see him with Jesus, he's been out all night fishing in the lake. We tried fishing at Camp Dixie yesterday because all that water had been drained out of the lake. There was no fish in there biting, you know, and that's what was happening with Peter and his friends that whole night before they had met Jesus. They had been out experienced fishermen out on the Sea of Galilee, put down their nets all night. They had got nothing. They had heard Jesus teach because he got in their boat and teach the people while they were on the shore. And then after the teaching, Jesus said to them, hey, let's go out and fish. Peter says, hey, we've been fishing all night, haven't caught a thing. But if you say so. And so at Jesus word, they go out there, they put down the nets like Jesus says. And Peter, this experienced fisherman, watches a miracle get dragged into his boat as as net loads of fish come in. They have to call their friends from the other boat because their their boat was sinking. They had so many fish. So, so Peter witnesses Jesus, and as, as they're sitting there, and they've got all the fish, and Jesus says, hey, you, come and follow me. And from now on, you're going to be a fisher of men. That changed Peter's life. He went from being a guy with a good job, a family business, into a man who's like, i got to figure out who this guy is. I just saw this miracle. I realized how wicked I am. It says that Peter was on his knees in the boat saying, Lord, get away from me. And yet from that moment, Peter was called into life and called into ministry. And so here we have Peter go and he follows Jesus for three years. And several times he's sticking his foot into his mouth. But there was also several times when he was the one when Jesus says, well, who do you say that I am? It was Peter who said, you're the Christ. You know, he had this amazing ability to really trust Jesus and at the same time, there was issues in his life where sometimes he would fail. 
But as you watch Peter's life, he grows in his faith and grows in his faith. And even though there's moments of sin, he grows into what we would look at as a a giant of the faith. And after Jesus' death and then his resurrection and then Jesus ascends back into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father, on the very first day of the church when the Holy Spirit came down and filled the church, And they began speaking in tongues and they spread into the temple and all the people are like, how are all these people talking in our languages? They're talking about God in our language. How is that happening? Peter gets up, having never preached a sermon before, and he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He gets up there and he stands up there and he gives his first sermon. 3,000 people come to faith off of his first sermon. So he's got an immense ministry. And you watch him in that early church as there was, there was a lot of chaos. People wondering, can, can non-Jews come into the church? Do they need to be circumcised? I mean, what, he was one of the ones that was wrestling with that. And he was one of the ones going on the missionary journeys, trying to, to tell other people about Jesus. And the ministry of Peter as him as one of the early disciples, one of the main 12. And in fact, possibly just that first great leader of the disciples. I mean, he was a giant in the church. And so for a church to be receiving a letter from what was one of the pillars of the church was a pretty big deal. Peter says, me, Simon Peter, I'm a a servant of that Jesus. And I'm an apostle of that Jesus. I'm I'm sent to give this message and I'm writing to you. And they would have received that letter saying, whoa, okay, drop everything you're doing, everybody to the church now. We've got a letter from Peter, from Peter. Now, look at this next line. This is amazing. Who's best in the family? Look at what Peter says. He's, this is to who he's writing to. It says, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul could have stepped up and said, hey, it's me, Peter. Here's all my credentials. I walked with Jesus for three years. I had all the right answers. I saw all the miracles. I preached that first sermon. 3,000 people came to faith. I was there leading the early churches that was expanded. And I was helping teach. And I was an apostle. Here I am. He starts off saying, I'm a servant and I've been sent by Jesus. And here's the thing. I'm writing to you who have an equal standing in the faith. See, Peter was saying there's there's none of us who were greater or lower. It wasn't it wasn't I needed less help than you. And it wasn't Peter saying I've done more to earn my salvation. He says we're all in this boat together. We all were sinners. There was nothing we could do. We have the similar faith. He said there. I love it. He says in the ESV, we have equal standing. And some of the other translations, it says we have something that's precious. And it's for all of us. It's the same thing. It's so valuable. It's so valuable to all of us. Because this, as it was based on the righteousness of God and of Jesus Christ. See, Peter knew that there was never a point where he could stand before Jesus and say, hey, I can be with you because I've earned this spot. He never said at the Last Supper when maybe he was sitting near Jesus and maybe receiving the chalice and the bread from Jesus saying, yep, I deserve this spot right here. No one can ever say I deserve to be with Jesus because we're not good enough. If we're to say what our equal standing is, our first equal standing is that we all stand as sinners, ultimate wrecks before Jesus. The kids and I, we've been listening to this audio book 
uh, in the car as we went down and back from camp. And it's actually about this kid lawyer. His parents are lawyers. And he loves to go to the courthouse and listen to the, the court cases. And so there's a murder case that's going on. And one of the things they keep saying over and over because they're trying to keep, teach kids the judicial system is they keep saying, you know, um, that you're innocent until proven guilty. It's, 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 it's basically where um, the presumption is innocence. But Scripture actually approaches it from a different way. Knowing that we're wicked and that we've all strayed away from God, the way that God's judicial system and the way that He presents the truth to us is when we're all born, we are presumed guilty. And it's not a false presumption. It's true. We all come out rebellious, wicked against God. We are all guilty. There is none of us that can bring our own righteousness. We can't claw and kick and earn our way into righteousness. We stand before God as guilty sinners. And so Peter says, we're on equal standing. Why? We all started in the same spot of death. We all started with sin. We all started in need. But then he says, we're now on equal standing, just the same way that I was called, just the same way that I became a servant. And he gave me a job as an apostle to each one of you. You have an equal standing. We may have different roles. You may not be apostle. You may play the piano. You may do the offering plate. You may teach Sunday school. You may be given a job, but we all are of equal standing because we were brought out of death and we were placed into salvation, not by our works, he said, because of the righteousness of God and of Jesus Christ. That's it. And so today, if we say amen, if we say I'm here and I'm saved, we are saying it is nothing I have done. The only thing I have done is try to die and run away from Jesus. But because of Jesus, he has scooped me up and he gave me what was his. And that was righteousness. He gave me goodness. I didn't have goodness. He gave me goodness. And it's the great exchange we talked about where because of my my wretchedness, Jesus went and died on that cross for me. He took my death. And in that same moment, he said, here, now you, Jason, you take my life. And if you've ever called on Jesus to be saved, he did the same thing to you. He took your death and then he came to you and he said, here, you have my life. You have my life. You have my life. And so all of us in this family of God, none of us are the best. We're in the same spot. We were all dead and now we are saved. We're saints. But not by our righteousness. It's because Jesus looked at you and said, here, have my life. And so Peter doesn't come just spouting his credentials. He comes just saying, I'm. I was a needy sinner. I've been saved just like you. I come as one of equal standing. But let me tell you what the Lord has spoken to me. And I love this next line. It took, to be honest, it took me a while to figure this one out. Because I kept trying to, to, to look at it the way the world looks at it. But look at this next verse. And, and, and we're going to kind of pause on this verse a little bit today. He says this. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Again, let me read that. It says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord. So as I read that, I kept thinking, okay, if it's a. If this grace and this peace, and I think we would all raise our hands saying, I want grace and I I would really love some peace. We've talked about peace recently and not being stressed and not being anxious and putting all of our cares on onto Jesus. We want peace and we want grace. But it says, may it be multiplied to you in the knowledge. 
And so suddenly it makes me think, well, what I need to do is I need to go get more knowledge that there's some type of magic key. If I go read more books about Jesus, if I go listen to more um, Christian comedians with the women on Wednesday night about Jesus, if I if I somehow sit down among some of you teachers and listen more about Jesus, that the knowledge is somehow if I can pack my more head more with knowledge that Jesus will will love me more and dispense to me more grace and more peace. And that's wrong. See, what ends up happening is once we become saved and we love that first moment when we said, Lord, here's my death. And he says, here's my life. And we love that moment of grace. But what ends up happening post altar call. Is we begin to scramble and try to earn it. It's this weird thing that we fall back into. He told us that we didn't earn salvation in the first place. But then once we get going and maybe we do have a job and we're supposed to be doing something, but we're not earning anything. We're just submitting now. We're just living in gratitude. And this thing about knowledge, sometimes we think, well, I just need to learn more because then God will love me more. Maybe I'm not learning enough. You know what? I used to I used to struggle so much trying to come up with a sermon. Weeks and weeks and weeks, I'd be preparing for a sermon and I'd be reading all kinds of books thinking I had to come up with a special key of knowledge to kind of unleash a sermon's power. And that was totally wrong. Grace has been totally given to you. The moment Jesus said, I forgive you, you had everything. So what does that mean that knowledge and this multiplication, like, what does that mean? It means this. One time I was having to apologize to Katie. I said, I had done something and I said, Katie, I am so sorry. I said, would you please forgive me? And I've got a great wife, a big heart. And she said, she said, yes, I, I forgive you. I don't want you to to do that again you know but i forgive you and i mean that's a load off right she had given me something precious she gave she gave me forgiveness well the very next thing i said was this i said well babe right now is the perfect time for you to ask for whatever you want you you want more back rubs you got it you want me to cook you the biggest greatest dinner you got it you need a car i mean i was just throwing out you need things you just forgave me. I owe you. So here it goes. And you know what happened? She was completely offended. You know why? Because when somebody comes and gives you the gift of forgiveness, that's it. They're not looking to earn anything. It was a love thing. It was a, 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 a gift thing. It was a freedom thing. It was a restoring relationship thing. And then suddenly to have that person on the line like they owe you. My wife, who loves me, and out of that love gave me her heart. She said it was like a slap in my face. Like you had rejected the thing I had just given you. And so think about how God does that when he says, here's my grace. And we're like, Lord, thank you for saving me. And then we get on this little Christian trail and we're working so hard and working so hard and so hard to please him. And try to, well, I know you forgave me, but Lord, right now, ask anything you want and I'll do it. Right. It's like we feel like we have to come up with something. Now, we should obey his commandments and we should stay away from the things that he doesn't want us to do. And and we should be learning the knowledge. But the opportunity is this is, is not to pay him back. When we begin to learn more about Jesus, what's happening is as we stand and we sing that song, Amazing Grace, a lot of times, the more we learn about Jesus, what we're starting to do is understand just how gracious he was when he declared his forgiveness for us. 
You're not earning more grace. He already gave you all of his grace. When you said, Lord, please save me. And now you're growing in Jesus. Maybe you were a child. He didn't give you a junior Holy Spirit. As one of my good friends calls it. When you're saved, you are completely saved. Full grace, full peace, full Holy Spirit. You're fully into the family, just like Peter. We are all in that boat. So, so what's happening when we're growing this? What is he talking about then about this multiplication? This is what it's giving you. A better view of the grace that he's already given you. So let me give you another example. So um, sometimes in the winter. I'll run out to my car, it'll be outside and, and I'll jump in my car and I'll turn it on. I'll notice that that it's not good for me to drive anywhere yet. It's not because I've been drinking in the morning already or anything like that. It's because my my windshield is frozen. Right. And so what do I do? I get out and I, I, I scrape that sucker off because it's important for me when I am going down the road to be able to see the reality of what's outside my windshield. Right. I want a clear view of what's actually there. And so as I get in the car and I've scraped it off and I back out, this thing happens in the winter sometimes where um, it kind of fogs up on the inside, right? And so as I'm going, I can see mostly pretty good. But occasionally you got to take something and you start wiping off the windshield, right? It kind of fogs up. And, and what it does is it gives you a better clarity of the reality that's outside your windshield. See, nothing outside that windshield is going to change. If you can't see that hydrant, that hydrant will still say hello to your car. But it's good for me to understand when I'm going down that road that I can see what's exactly in my view, what's really there. And so when God is coming and giving you his grace, it is really there. When you're growing in the knowledge of Jesus, what he's doing, is he's wiping the fog off of your spiritual eyes. He's getting you to see just how much he already loved you. You're not earning more of his love. You're not digging yourself out of a hole. It's you just saying, I was absolutely deplorable and now he's made me good. That is amazing. What happens is we begin to rejoice. We begin to think that is we have an amazing God. A God who, who has created all things. And I sat there at Camp Dixon and I looked at the water and the turtles and the trees and the, the sunrise coming up and all that sort of thing. It's, it's just amazing what God would make and that he took time out of his eternity to deal with my sin and put his son on a cross so that he could save my soul. I sat there and was just like, this God is unreal in love with me and I have no idea why. But I'm thankful. It was like he was taken and just wiping more fog off my face. See, I was growing in the knowledge of Jesus. His grace is already there. I just need to realize it more. And he loves to just continue to reveal and reveal and reveal and reveal. And we get into trouble when we start striving hard to earn it back. Or when we let the world say, you know what, maybe he doesn't love you so much. It doesn't look like he's coming back anytime soon. And yet we know he is. We know he is. And there's times when we get back into the ooh and the goo of sin. And we're still swimming in the Lord's grave. We need to go back and we need to ask the Lord's forgiveness. Guess what he doesn't want you to do? He doesn't want you to go back and earn his grace. Real quickly, I want to read from another giant in the scripture. This man, it was said that he had a 
uh, he was a man after God's own heart. David, he had been a shepherd. We read about him recently. He became a king. For a lot of his life, he was one who did what the Lord had told him to do. I mean, he was the one who went in the name of the Lord and slayed a giant. He was the one who trusted the Lord as he grew him and anointed him. And then he's off of the king. He had done battles. He had he was getting ready to build the temple. His son would build it later. I mean, he was a giant of the faith. But one day he was up on his temple, uh, excuse me, on his palace. And he looks over and there's a there's a woman bathing. He shouldn't have been looking. He dwells on it. He he expands that temptation, brings her up to his place, uh, gets her pregnant. He's in sin. And the prophet Nathan comes in and confronts David and David is 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 kind of struck face to face with the sin. I mean, God convicts him and suddenly he sees it and he's like, oh. I mean, it was conviction. He had tried to cover it up and thought it was fine. But when God put it in front of his face, God's like, no, I see it. That, too, is God's grace to know that we can understand. He, he sees it. We don't we don't pull the wool over his eyes at all. And so David suddenly had his sin revealed and he's like, whoa. And we have in the book of Psalms this incredible song. That David, a giant of the faith, wrote when he was in sin. And it's interesting because in that, even these Though he's in the Old Testament times, he has this interesting part in there that talks about not being able to earn back God's grace. Listen to this. This is what he says. Remember, they used to do uh, burnt offerings and those sorts of things. He says, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I'd give it. You'll not be pleased with a burnt offering. David, at the lowest, deepest, sinful moment in his adult life, said, God, you don't want a burnt offering. You don't want me to go get a big old bull or go to my dad and get another sheep and and drag it to the tabernacle in Jerusalem. And you don't want me to go to the priest there and have him take one of those animals and slaughter it and let blood spill out on that altar. You don't want that blood on that altar. You don't want me just to go do something. Why? It was insufficient. He said, if if that's what I could do, I would do it. If, if I could do anything to get rid of my guilt, I would do it. I would take that bull right now and I would go have it slaughtered in the tablet. That's what I would do. But David says, I know that. That you don't want that. So the question is, well, what does God want then? And this is what he says in in verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. David knew that God didn't want to go get an animal and have a sacrifice. God didn't need an animal dead. What he needed is for David to realize that sin would kill him. But for God, he has life, a broken and contrite heart. And so David just he writes this psalm where he says, create me a clean heart, O God. He says, cast me not away from thy presence, O God. He says, restore to me, God, the joy of thy salvation. And renew a right spirit in me. David knows the one thing that God's want that God wants is for this knowledge of his grace to so overwhelm David that suddenly again, David can do nothing but get down on his knees and say, I'm I'm a broken man and I need healed. There's no earning in that. It's just saying. Your grace is so amazing. It's God, even in the midst of a moment of sin, even in the midst of a moment of brokenness. God just taping, uh, taking and, and, and showing his grace 
in such an amazing way that no man or woman, no Peter and no David, no deacon or pastor in this church or, 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 or any evangelist anywhere in the world could ever say, I am so good that I will stand there and be good enough for God. But we're all in the same standing where we say, we were, we were nothing. And I'm broken now that I've been confronted with my sin and I just say, God, thank you. Thank you. And in the multiplying of that knowledge, that's when you realize how grace and peace is being multiplied to you. It's already there. It's already there. So today you might, you might have been struggling maybe with sin this week. You might have been struggling with just depression or maybe that load of stress. And you've been running around trying to figure out, well, what do I do? And, and in what ways can I kind of trigger God to, to, to send things my way? And, and don't get stuck with something that's false. Don't be blinded by the world. And we talked about Satan last week, prowling around like a, a, a roaring lion who wants to devour you. You know how he devours you? Little lies. He wants to get you to see God wrong. He wants you to think that you need to earn God's grace. And don't, don't sit there with something fake. It reminds me of a movie one time where a girl... Just like maybe Amanda, who was in New York, this girl was stranded at a bus station and she had lost her glasses. Somebody had stolen her glasses. And so here she is in the middle of the night, uh, blind in this bus station, lost and alone. And she's sitting there and she's cuddling this cat. And the janitors come come up to her and they say, honey, you need to put that animal down. She says, why? She says, well, we're going to kill it. She says, how how could you? How could you kill this poor, defenseless little kitten? And the janitors laugh at her. And they say, woman, that's not a kitten. That's a New York City sewer rat. (laughs) See, she she couldn't see anymore. She was so alone that suddenly she had had picked up a a vermin, a beast. And she was cuddling that thing. You know what? That's, That's what Satan wants to do. He wants you to pick up the wrong thing. He wants you to snuggle something that's not going to give you comfort at all. And what God wants you to do is lay that beast down. Lay your heart down. Lay your attempts down. Lay anything else down that might try to bring you grace and peace and just say, you know what, that's false. And then take up Jesus into your heart and take him close. Because that's what he desires. He wants you to draw near to him. And that's where salvation is. That's where your standing is. And so today, if any, anything's been going on in your life and you just need to come and just have that realization of how good Jesus is, just spend a few moments here. We're going we're to sing a song here to close. And if the Lord's just kind of tugging on your heart, you just need to remember, Lord, my standing is in you. None of us are giants. There's, there's one giant in the body of Christ, and his name's Jesus. And he's been so good to us. And today, just remember of how good he's been. And, and maybe you need to ask the Lord today, Lord, just... Just wipe that fog off my eyes so I can see the reality of what you've done for me. Lord, remind me again of how amazing grace is. Just remind me of how good you've been to me. And as the Lord has said, I forgive you. Let us not then go slap him in the face and say, how could I pay you back? This morning, just come with a broken and contrite heart and say, Lord, create me new again. Let me me see your grace again.